If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. I'm going to take a break from the book of Proverbs for just a couple of weeks. Um, I want to talk about something that the Lord kind of just really uh, showed me some things. I've been, you know, as you know, I had my surgery here about a month or so ago, and I've been off for a little over a month. And, um, you know, he gave me a really good perspective. It, it, sometimes it's good to kind of step back and get out of something and look at it and see it go by itself and see all the things that, uh, um, you know, that really uh, transpire and see it from a different perspective and a different angle. And I, and I want to say publicly, you know, I want to I I thank you. You know, in most churches, when the pastor's not there, the attendance goes in half. We stayed right where we were at and everything, you know. And, um, you know, I particularly want to thank a couple of guys here. First of all, I want to thank Danny for uh, doing everything that he did and, and taught Sunday and taught Thursday nights. And uh, I think he's upstairs helping. But, Danny, uh, I was not one that was going to be cheering when you weren't going to be here Sunday. I listen to you anytime I can. And uh, he's good. And, and then I want to thank Bob Gregg. Bob, thank you. You're a great preacher. You really have substance every time you step into the pulpit. Not much to look at, but boy, I tell you, you know your Bible. And I, and I love you very much, and I thank you for that. You did a great job. You did. And Zach, thank you. Without a doubt, you're, I would never trade you as a youth pastor for anybody else. And you know your Bible, too, and you do a great job. All three of you guys. And you know what the, 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 the beauty for me is? There's 20, 30 other of you out there that could do just as good a job as they've done. We have a great host of young men and, and young ladies. If the Bible ever changes and we can have women preachers... We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. And, you know, and I, and I thought about this, and I, I, I did, and I thought about, you know, the importance of, as a pastor, leaving a legacy of going on the record with things. I mean, there's things that we teach, and there's things that we, we all believe and all of that. I, I get that. But sometimes there's things that have to make a statement on, and you have to go on record of saying it for future generations. You know, I, I've taught you before the three little principles that you should have in your life of looking behind, looking around you, and then looking ahead. And, uh, and when it comes to this church, you know, we need to follow that same thing. We need to never forget where we come from. We need to never forget where we're at today, and we never need to forget where, where, where we're going uh, and the future of our church and all that God is doing with us here. And, uh, you know... Uh, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a great tragedy. And I think that many people have missed the concept of leading an understandable path for the next generation. We all knew Mel Sabaka, most of us. Many of you knew him personally and had heard him preach many, many times. Not anybody here other than myself knew Tommy Thomas or Phil Ward, who were instrumental in, Mel, in Mel's uh, uh, development in the Bible. And those men changed so many lives in, in their days, and they were used of God in a mighty way. But you know what the real tragedy is? There's not one scrap of their material anywhere for anybody to find, to get your hands on to read. We, we think we find a gold nugget when we find one of Mel's old sermons. And I want to say something to you. Most of the stuff that you guys have heard him do uh, in the last 10, 15 years of his life, that ain't the Mel Sabaka that I knew. You should have heard him back in the day. And I want to tell you something, it's all gone. We, we had cassettes back then, but nobody had a real tape ministry. He never wrote, never wrote any books. Phil Ward never wrote any. Tommy Thomas never wrote any. 
they had a collection of things that God had showed them that would have been so beneficial for my generation and your generation. But it's all gone. It's all lost. It's all lost to time. And only those who, who maybe sat under them or knew them would glean some things from them. And, you know, I was a lot, when I was with Mel Sabaka, I was a lot like Samuel. I knew the man that God put in my life. And I knew that he was there for a reason. I wasn't as stupid as a lot of people today to get to the fact that they think they're smarter than the guy that God puts into their life. I never made that mistake. I was like young Samuel. I let none of his words fall to the ground. I listened to everything he said. I listened to everything that he did. I watched everything he did. I learned from him and learned everything that he did. And my goal here is not only to help you, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but my goal, uh, my goal uh, with our website and our books and our CDs uh, is to leave, a, you know, to leave a trail of Bible truth and doctrine for future generations. We have our bookstore back there. It's probably one of the finest bookstores in Kansas City. It's probably the book that runs in the red more than any other bookstore in Kansas City. <laughs> uh, we just gave everything away. I mean, uh, it's a thing where we have visitors here, and I joke about it, but you know what? If you made an effort to get here, I want to I give you something. I want you to know. I want you to leave here knowing that uh, we're not about getting something from you. We're about giving you something for God, and that's what we need to do. You know, I, uh, you're back there, and I think there's some 40-some books back there that, uh, that, uh, that, that I have written on various subjects, and John Busquet takes those and does a phenomenal job of transcribing them. And you know what? We never talk about the gals, Kelly Crest over here, um, Caleb up in Lincoln, uh, Angie, Angel, I think she's upstairs today, and, and Angela, I think she's upstairs today, and Laura. They do all the proofreading. It wasn't just where you throw them in a washing machine and the book comes out. There's a lot of labor that goes into those things. And I want to tell you, and you have to tell the other girls because they're not here. I think they're down at Quick Trip getting coffee. <laughs> Who's here? Oh, Angel, oh, you're over here. I want, I want, oh, oh, this is going to pull my back. I want to tell you guys. Where the judgment seat of Christ? You think there's not rewards in the fact that you take your time to proofread some material that somebody's putting into a book that's going to go to somebody to help them learn the Bible? I want to tell you. Building men and women who will take that truth and will pass it on. And you know what? That's really what a church should be all about passing on the material. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, when he was talking uh, to young Timothy, he said, In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, he says, The same commit this to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Leaving a trail. Hey, Phil, Phil leave, that, leave that door open. T- leaving a trail of Bible doctrine that somebody can follow that they have a way to get the material. Hey, uh, we live in a world where there is no truth. You could go to the next hundred churches in this city and you couldn't find the truth in any Bible anywhere. And I'm telling you something. We wouldn't have what we have if somebody didn't invest in my life. And now we have to invest in the lives of future people with our children. Uh, With the people, the young, young couples that come in here. With the moms and dads that come in here. Doing what the church is supposed to do. And I want to talk to you this morning. I want to go on record. But with the concept of what a New Testament church is. And I, I, it came to me as I was 
doing through all of this and watching everybody do what they need to do. And I come to the, I, I come to the, uh, come to the, uh, uh, understanding that I have done such a good job around here that you guys don't need me anymore. You guys could run just fine. Everybody can handle what needs to be done. You guys never missed a beat. And to me, that's one of the greatest blessings that I could ever have. My philosophy has always been, and it's never been a secret, that I want to build a Philadelphian church in the Laodicean church age. That's my goal. And that's a very hard concept for people to grasp. I want you to understand that. Most people don't even know what the Philadelphian church was or the Laodicean church is. But for those of us who understand the Bible and for those of us who understand where we're at in time in church history, you grasp that concept. Building a New Testament church as close to the patterns and the models that are found in the Bible as I can. It's always been my goal. And, uh, and that in itself will, will set us apart and obviously cause us some problems. Uh, you've heard me say it many, many times, and I, I make no apology for it. I, uh, I, 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 it's a true statement. Our church is not for everybody. It really isn't. I've never pretended it was. I've never told anybody that it ever was. Uh, I, I'm smart enough to know uh, that the fact that the kind of church that I want to build in the day and age that I want to build it, not everybody's going to be able to handle that. And that's not a bad thing to them. That's just saying, I have sites higher than most churches and most pastors because I have an agenda that I want to accomplish. It's just that simple. I'm looking for a certain kind of person. I really am. Sometimes I feel like I'm a prospector looking for gold. And sometimes you've got to sift through the dirt of this old earth to find a few gold nuggets. And I want to tell you something. God's given us some gold nuggets here today. And I also want to tell you this, and you might as well get some things down this morning because I'm going on the record, me and Greta Suster, and we're going on the record. There's no accident that God brought you to this church. Amen. And if you think it's an accident, then you're out in left field someplace. And, uh, and uh, I'm just telling you, uh, there's, a, there's a reason why you're here. And I, I look for four things in people because I want to build people. I have an agenda. I want to build a certain kind of church. I want it built on the truth. I would sit down with anybody, anytime, anywhere. That I talk about the fact that I build my church and build this church as close to the New Testament, as biblically as I can. I'll give you a fleet license anytime, anywhere, anyplace to sit down on a Thursday night and show me where I don't. I've dedicated myself to that concept because that is the only concept that there really needs to be when it comes to a church. I look for four things in people. I look, first of all, how touchable you are. How touchable you are. There's some of God's people that they go to church every Sunday, but they'll never let God touch them. And I ask you today, I look for that. I watch that in you. How touchable are you? How touchable are you that when you get a little off kilter, a little off center, that all it takes is a good sermon and God's Holy Spirit coming down and tapping you on the shoulder and touching you? You know, David got into some terrible things in his life, but I want to tell you something. As fat as he got into those things, David had one quality that never kept him from getting too far from God, and God gave him the sure mercies of David. You know what else? There was any time in David's life all God had to do was squeeze his heart. David never lost being touchable. And today there's a lot of God's people that go to church, but you're not touchable. You won't let God touch you. You won't let the sermons touch you. You get your nose bent in a joint about something, or you don't like something, and that's where you stay. And you won't let God fix it, because the only way He can fix it is for God to be able to touch you. So I look for people that are touchable. 
I look for people. Yeah, it is good. I look for people that are touchable. When you're touchable, then I look for the second thing in your life. I look for people that are teachable. There's a lot of God's people that go to church every Sunday. You couldn't teach them anything. You've all been in situations in discipleship, I know this is true, where you have somebody come into the church, they know nothing about the Bible, you start to disciple them, and suddenly they're going to tell you everything. That's unteachable. That's unteachable. You know what? If you know it all, then why do you need to be discipled? And of course, the thing I look for is guys who are teachable. I've met guys and women, but mostly guys. Most women are teachable. But a lot of times, guys will get to a place where they're not, they're not teachable. Uh, they, you can't teach them anything. They always think they know more about it. They'll argue about everything that you're going to talk to them about. And they argue like they know something about the Bible. And I look for people who are touchable. I look for people who are teachable. Then the third thing I look for, I look for people that are trustworthy. Can God trust you with the Word of God in the ministry? Could God give you the, the manna from heaven and know that you're going to pass it on to somebody else? You know, the average Christian probably has 10, 12 Bibles in his home and doesn't do anything with any of them. And the question is, are you trust, can God trust you with, with the Word of God? Can He trust you with what He wants you to do with it? Or are you somebody who is just going to, you know, come to church and do whatever you want to do and, and just blow God off? There are God's people who always find something else to replace what God wants them to do with. And you can't trust them. You just can't trust them. I have had people that, that, that in my life, that, uh, and they were good people, they weren't bad people, but you couldn't trust them to do anything. I've now had people in the ministry that when I asked them to do something, I knew that they weren't going to get it done. I had two other people backing them up because I knew I needed to get it done. And so I look for people that are touchable. I look for people that are, that are teachable. I look for people that are trustworthy. And then the last thing is that I look for people who are thankful. Are you thankful with what God has given you here? Are you thankful for what God has given you in the Word of God? Are you thankful for the labor that men and women in this church invest in you? Hundreds of hours a week. I'm looking for a certain kind of person. And I know it's hard to find today. But I thank God every day of my life. And it's one of the things that God showed me as I was kind of out of, out of touch with things. I mean, the first week I got out of the hospital, I couldn't even focus on the Bible. I couldn't even remember anything. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't. I tried to open my Bible and it just nothing was there. And I just, I, I didn't have any voice. I, I couldn't have preached if I had to preach. But I, I, I came to the point when I understood that that was good because it forced me to look at what you guys were doing and how you stepped up and how nothing, nothing went undone and everything got accomplished. So I, I, in understanding God's concept of the church, you need to see and understand two aspects to it. And I, I want to do this for everybody that's here, but I also want to do it because in time as we move on, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, as we continue to grow, we're not there yet, but in time as we go, God's going to reach down and call some of you guys out to the ministry. It'll happen. So I want you to understand that for you, and I'm going on record today, to understand the concept of the church, you need to see and understand two aspects of it. 
First of all, you need to realize and understand that there's a model for the church found in the Bible. Trying to do a church any other way than that model is going to be a disaster. And I'm going to make some statements down the line that getting into the ministry, being a pastor, is one of the most dangerous jobs you could ever get into. Because you have the potential of screwing people's lives up if you don't get it right. And the way you get it right is to follow the model. The model will always be the overall concept of the church. The second thing that you want to look at is, is the pattern of the church. There's a distinct pattern that you follow in building a church. And this will be the inner structure, the inner working of how it will work. The, the anatomy of a church. To know, to know, to, you have to know these things before you try to build one. The Bible itself is a book of patterns and models. We talk about getting God's mind over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where it says we have the mind of Christ and God wants to instruct us. For me, it's simply this. The mind of Christ is you understanding in the Bible all the models, all the patterns that God has laid down because he's done it for everything. And when you see the patterns, understand the patterns, know the patterns, you got his mind. It's just that simple. It isn't about wearing a suit and tie. It isn't about wearing a dress instead of slacks. It isn't about wearing, dressing up or anything that you do. It's about the Bible is a book from God to you that is absolute and perfect, found in the King James Bible, that shows you God's mindset on everything by a model and by a pattern. You learn them, you got it. The great illustration of that is one of the most complex studies in the Bible, and that'll be the study of the tabernacle. It's found back there in Exodus 25 and on up to about 30, 32, somewhere in there. It's probably one of the most cons complex studies that you're ever going to get into in the Bible. It's, it's got so much depth to it. There's so many parts to it. It is absolutely, everything about it means something. And it's one of the most complicated things to look at. It's one of the most complicated things that in your mind that you'd think you would try to study. But yet in Hebrews chapter 8, we are told that when God gave Moses the commission to build that tabernacle, the Bible says that he gave him a pattern to go by. He said in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, "...who served under the example of the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for she saith he that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mouth." God gave him a pattern. Now, when you want to study it, and you want to break it down, and you want to learn it, just follow the pattern. You don't have to sit there and try to figure Just follow the pattern. When you get the model and the pattern, whatever God's doing in the Bible, it breaks it down in the easiest way. And God will have a pattern for everything. Many of you have children. God's got a pattern for your children. To train them up and to raise them up. And very frankly, many of God's people with their kids, they're in church every Sunday, and they're going to lose their kids just like that they were out in a bar. You know why? You don't have the right model. You don't have the right pattern. You don't have a good balance with your kids. You come to the place where you, 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 you don't follow the pattern. You don't have a model. And it, it just causes all kinds of problems because the key to a pattern, no matter what it will be, will be the right balance. A couple of weeks ago, I brought you through the great study. We went on the record again on wine and strong drink in the Bible. And the way I did that just showed you the pattern. That's all I did. I didn't tell you to go out and march against bars or burn them down. I don't care if you do that. But that's not what I told you to do. I just showed you the pattern. Missions. 
reaching the world for Christ. There's a pattern to it. We have in this church, and I know most of some of you don't know this, we have this church, in this church, God developing the most biblical missions program that you will find anywhere in this country. Right and under our nose. Right here with you. And it's a thing where it's, there's a pattern to it. Missions today, for the most part, around the world, going to BMI or going to this mission school or this, this, that, has fallen on its face. The Jehovah Hell witnesses are getting more done than God's people are with missions. Why? Because they don't follow the right pattern. They don't see the model. And it's a disaster. We got camp this year. I'm here again. We got camp this year. Camp this year is about missions. They're going to take your kids and teach them the fundamentals about missions and missionaries. And if you watch the things around here, they started with the Moravians. I don't know who thought that up. I was not involved in that. But it shows me that somebody around here is understanding something because the Moravians is the greatest pattern and model for missions anywhere in history. And it shows me that I don't have to be here for you to figure that out and to do that. Somebody figure that out on their own. Evangelism, reaching your own culture. There's a pattern to it. The Bible, there's a pattern to it, laying it out. Being a pastor, there's a Bible pattern to it. There's three in the New Testament. There's Timothy, there's Titus, and there's Philemon. And a few others sprinkled in there. There's a pattern to it. Salvation, there's a pattern to it. The nation of Israel, there's a pattern to it. The universe, there's a pattern to it. And when it comes to the church, understanding the concept of the church, there's a very clear pattern and a very clear model. God gave us a clear model and a clean pattern for for our church. And I saw it many, many years ago. I was trained that way. And this is what I do. The only thing I know to do. Now, to begin this, let's start by seeing the model for the New Testament church. And I want you to, I already had you turn to Acts chapter 13. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll jump into this. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus and we do love you. Thank you for the good folks here today. Pray your blessings upon all that we endeavor to do for thee. We love you. We thank you, Father, for everything that you've accomplished through our church and through the good people here. Thank you for the men and the women that hold the line on all that we endeavor to do. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, when you turn to Acts chapter 13, you're going to find that the model church for you and for me will be the church at Antioch. And I understand most of you know that. That's not something new to you. Uh, You might also know that scholarship and 99% of Bible teachers and probably just about every church in this city today will teach you that the model church is the church of Jerusalem found in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Of course, that's not true. Uh, That heresy comes because of the failure to rightly divide the book of Acts. Acts has a pattern to it. Every book of the Bible has a pattern to it. Want to learn the book? Learn the pattern. In Institute, yesterday, I'm showing you patterns. I'm trying to get you to learn the patterns. I broke the Bible down in 17 patterns for you yesterday. Models. Now, I, I, I don't know how you miss this and, and see the model church as Antioch. Instead of, I don't get it. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the Bible says they're first called Christians in Antioch. You would think, anybody paying attention, that where God told you that they were first called Christians and that started the pattern of Christianity, that that would be the model church, wouldn't you? How hard is that? 
Now, Antioch is in what we know as modern-day Syria today. And that's a hotbed of world news today. You have Assad over there, President Assad, you know, gassing his own people. Uh, they're in the middle of a civil war. Uh, it's the hotbed of the Middle East. And I've always thought it was interesting knowing my Bible and knowing the way things break down, <clears throat> you know, that everything is ending there in, in Syria. And yet, when you know your Bible, New Testament Christianity started there. It's come full circle. In the Bible uh, times uh, and up into in the church history, uh, Syria was the hotbed of uh, Bible Christianity. You have the Byzantine Empire. That runs all the way up to around 1100 with the Ottoman Turks coming in. The, the first church is right there. Uh, the first ministry is right there. The first mission program is right there. The first Bible teachers are right there. Your text of the King James Bible that you're holding your hand came out of the old Syriac and the old Latin right there. And as I said, up to 1100, it was the, it was the base for New Testament modern Christianity. And in the tribulation period, Revelation chapter 1 and 2, you have seven churches in the tribulation, and they're right in where Antioch of Syria is, the Middle East. The church of Antioch is our model for what the New Testament church should be. Now let's read Acts chapter 13 with that little introduction. Let's read Acts chapter 13. Pick it up in verses 1 through 3. And it says this. Now there were in the church that was Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, Simon, that was called Niger, and Lucas of Cyrene, and Manian, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And they had fasted and prayed. They laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they, being forth, uh, sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Cilicia, uh, from whence they sailed to Cyprus. Now, there's a number of things I want to see here, a couple of things that I think that if we're going to go on the record, you need to see. And the first thing I want you to see is the components of this New Testament church, the people that are in it. And the key word here is going to be diversity. And the key word for any church is diversity. Everybody in this room today and all the people upstairs, which is about half of what we got down here, bring something special to the party. Not any one of you is like the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. That is a good thing. That is a good thing. Now, first of all, you have Paul. And uh, after his three and a half years with, with God up there in Arabia, uh, the first thing he does is he gets into a New Testament local church. I, and I think this is very instructive. You don't want to miss this. He's going, Paul is going to establish and start every New Testament church in the book of Acts. He is. He's the apostle to the Gentile. It's his job alone. God gave it to him and nobody else. But I want you to notice, he follows the biblical pattern and model that he knows to be true because here's a guy who's going to start every church. He's going to go out there and do everything. And every church, including this one, that's a Bible-believing church, can trace its lineage back to the church at Antioch and what Paul did in his missionary trip. But you know what he does? He didn't walk out and say, God called me. I'm the guy. I'm going to go out and do this. You know what he did? He joined a New Testament local church. He submitted himself to that New Testament local church, and he waited for the Holy Spirit of God to work through that church to send him out, even though he knew he was the guy. You need to write that down. He doesn't think of himself as some exception to the rules. 
And I'm going to tell some of you young guys and some of you gals something, that's going to get you into trouble when you think, when it comes to the ministry or churches, you think you're the exception to the principles in the Bible. You say, well, I don't like that. You're going to like it less before I get through, so just hang on. God called him to start Gentile churches all over the world. He called it gospel that God gave him. He called it my gospel. When he got talking to people, he said, what I got, I got straight from God. No man gave it to me. And here's a guy who has every right to just bypass Antioch, go do his thing, but he follows the principles and the models, and he says, I can't go do what God has called me to do unless I'm sent out of a New Testament local church by the body. Now, that's a model for you young people. Then you had Barnabas. Barnabas was a Jew out of the tribe of Levi. He, he, he's Paul's mentor. He actually introduces Paul to the New Testament Christianity. And later on, Paul and Barnabas, they go out on the first missionary trip, and he's a very strong leader in the church. Then you have Simon, who was called Niger. Now, Niger is Latin for black. If you would go down into Guatemala, El Salvador, and you'd go into a store and you'd want to buy a black shirt, or you want to buy a black dress, or you want to buy a black pair of shoes, the color on the box would be Niger. It's Latin for black. Spanish and Latin are very close together. Now, there's a good chance that this is the Simon of, 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 uh, of the New Testament that actually carries the cross with Christ to the crucifixion. And a good chance that he is. Then you had Lucius of Serene. That's another black man out of Africa. And then you had a guy named Manian, who was the foster brother of Herod the Great. That's the guy that killed John the Baptist. And I look at that and I think to myself, what a great cross-section of the anatomy of a church with the people in it. You got a Jew who killed Christians before he got saved, Paul, and now he's going to save them. You got a Jew who just got saved coming out of the Old Testament, Barnabas, and now he's going to take it to the New Testament. You had a black guy who saw the crucifixion like nobody else saw it. Simon, and then you got another black guy out of Africa. And then you got a Gentile guy who was connected with Rome and all of the filth of Rome, and now he's serving God. What a picture of the people in my church that come from different walks of life that fit into that same category. Some of you blaspheme God in your life before you got saved. Now you praise God in everything that you do. Some of you were part of the filth of this world. Now you're part of the aristocracy of heaven. What a great picture. You got one guy here who his brother killed Christians. Then he got the, his brother, half-brother, foster brother, who's going to bring Christianity to everybody. We all come from different walks of life and different backgrounds. Some good, not, some not so good. But at the end of the day, we're all, we're all in this body together. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that we're to operate as a body. And we work together. And we pull together. Right. Now the second thing I want you to see here will be the definition of ministry. This is a great misunderstood concept today. What is ministry? Somebody asks, should I be involved in ministry? Somebody says, what ministry should I get involved in? Somebody says, how much ministry should I involve my life in? And those are all great questions. 
Now, the passage here in Acts chapter 13 will answer that question because it is the definitive passage in the Bible on ministry. Isn't that a strange thing that the church of Antioch is the model church that begins ministry? Why would you not find the definition of ministry there? And it says in verse 2 that ministry, real Bible ministry, is them ministering to the Lord first. You see, many of God's people will minister to other people, but they'll never bother to find out how they minister to the Lord. It says they minister to the Lord first. Ministry number one is not you giving something to others. Ministry number one is giving you something to God. And you know, it's not a hard concept. Once you put it in a definitive context, you begin to see it. Now, let me ask you a question. When you minister to somebody, and many of you do, what do you do, bottom line? I mean, take discipleship one and discipleship two. You sit down with somebody, and you give them what they need. You minister to them. You take somebody who doesn't understand what you these things in the Bible, and you give it to them. When counseling, when you have problems with your kids, you have problems in your marriage, you have problems, what do we do? We sit down, and we give you what you need to fix your problem and to get you where you need to be. Sometimes you have personal issues. We give you what you need to get past them, help you. Ministry is simply giving somebody the word of God, uh, what they need or what they want, and you minister to them. Now, that's what ministry under the Lord is. Now, I, I, I get it. I, uh, what could God want from me? What do I have that I could give to God that would minister to him? Stop and think about it for a minute. Why did God save you? What was God's always purpose? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish have everything in life. God's original goal was to reach the world with the gospel. But come on, you're all smart kids. Christ came down, he lived here for three and a half years just as he was getting his ministry going. He got crucified and God took him back to heaven. And then he started the church. What did he start the church for? The church is to finish the work that Christ started. And when you do the work, that God saved you to do, you minister to Him. It's not about ministering to somebody else. It is. It's about ministering to Him first. And if you doing ministry by any other reason than you're doing it because you're doing it through Him, for Him, because that's what He saved you to do, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. My job is to, in building this church is to finish the work by taking young men and young ladies and understanding that first and foremost... I minister to the Lord by finishing the work that he started by training you and sending you out. And we give back to God what he wants and we minister to him. He gets ministered to that. I mean, it's found over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and through 16. He says, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make it manifest the savior of his knowledge in every place. For we are unto God a sweet Savior of Christ, and them that are saved, and them that are perished. To one we are the Savior of death unto death, and to other we are Savior to life unto life, who is sufficient for these things. When you minister to Christ, you talk about Him to other people. When you talk about Christ to other people, it brings up a sweet Savior in the nostrils of God, and it ministers to Him. It ministers to Him that His Son dying on the cross didn't die in vain. It ministers to him because somebody figured it out and now somebody is going to pick up the mantle and finish what God started. And when you say the name of Christ, and he says to a saved person or a lost person, you see, we get the idea that God gets happy when somebody gets saved, and he does. There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repented. I want to tell you something. God gets ministered to 
Whether the guy gets saved or the guy stays lost, as long as you raise up the name of Christ, it's a sweet savor in his nostrils. And you minister to him. And if you don't have that concept down, join a bowling league. Get in a shuffleboard game. Play soccer for the rest of your life. Get out of the ministry. You're going to be a disaster at the judgment seat of Christ. You've got to minister to him first. And the church at Antioch, the church of Antioch ministered to the Lord. And when they ministered to the Lord, they were taking the concept of the New Testament church and they understood that God had brought that church into existence to carry on the work that Christ has started. We lose that today, don't we? Oh, we got volleyball, we got softball, we're going to go up and eat hamburgers here in a little bit. We got everything going on. You got weddings, you got funerals, you got all kinds of things happening in our world. We get so busy. And we actually forget that the model church teaches us the greatest aspect of ministry. Ministry isn't what you do for somebody else. Real ministry first is what you do for God. Do you understand what you're doing? And I'll tell you something. When you understand and you realize that ministering to him first is key, you'll be very careful about how you teach and what you teach to somebody else. You'll be very careful how you criticize somebody else. You'll be very careful how that you, you, you just blatantly... Say, oh, yeah, I've seen people do discipleship with somebody that it was their turn, and I, and I, I was over earshot, and I thought to myself, oh, why didn't they just put on a tape, a Dr. Ruckman tape or something? I mean, it was terrible. You know why? No preparation. A lot of people like to fly by the seat of their pants when it comes to the ministry. When you understand that you're ministering to him first, you'll never fly by the seat of your pants. Amen. You'll do it right. Amen. You'll do it exact. It'll be a manifestation of truth. It'll be every time you get into the pulpit, every time you sit down at somebody's coffee table, every time you sit down in some Starbucks or wherever, and you're going you're gonna to teach somebody the Bible, you take it seriously because you're not just ministering to them, you're becoming a sweet savor in the nostrils of God, and you're ministering to Him. And half of God's people never even do it. Well, I don't have time to get in ministry. I got my career. I'm too busy. Well, boy, we would have been in great shape if God would have suddenly would have said, I don't have time to go to cross today. I got a pogo match I got to be at. <laughs> you know, after 60-some years of living my life and being in the Bible for almost 50, I've learned one thing. There ain't nothing wrong with God. The problem is us. Hey, when Christ went back to heaven, he replaced himself with three things. The first thing he replaced himself with was the Holy Spirit of God. Second thing he replaced himself with was the Word of God. And the third thing he replaced himself with was the New Testament local church in Antioch. The Holy Spirit of God is your guide. The Word of God is your roadmap. And the local church is the vehicle by which you get where God wants you to go. Look at verse 2 and 3. The natural process of God putting you, me, into the ministry. Look at verse 2. And they ministered to the Lord, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work went to have called. You notice that it wasn't Barnabas and Saul that said, God's called me, I'm going. You, you did see that, didn't you? I, I'm at, that is a question. Amen. You did see that, did you not? It wasn't Paul and Barnabas standing up and announcing, I'm going out to start a church. One more time. You didn't see that, did you not? Amen. The Holy Ghost told the church. Amen. 
Now, that's not popular today. I get that. I get it. The, the, the local church is not a very a popular concept biblically. It just isn't. It just isn't. But I'm going to tell you something. The local church is the central program of God in your life. Amen. And there's so many other parachurch organizations out there that are trying to pretend they're Christian, pretend they're like the church, and God's people are so inept when it comes to the Bible that they think they're on even par with the church. I want to tell you something. There's only one institution that God works through in your life, and it is a New Testament local church, and the model and the pattern found in Antioch. One day, some of you may be called out of here. We're not at this point ready yet, and there's a reason for that, but sooner or later, what's going to happen? And based on the model of Acts chapter 11, where they're first called Christian in Acts chapter 13, you want to remember five things. And we're going on the record today. First of all, Barnabas and, Barnabas and Paul, he's not called Paul yet, Bar- and I'll tell you, his name is Saul, but he gets his name called, changed to Paul, after he wins his first guy to Christ, and that guy he wins to Christ's name is Paul. Chewing that for about 30 years. Wouldn't it be great if you never won a soul to Christ and when you got a new name written down in glory, but that new name is based on the person you won to Christ the first time and you and I get to heaven and we don't have a new name in glory because we never won anybody to Christ? There's a lot of weird things in that Bible that because you've, you've been sitting on your couch Saturday morning watching your funnies and sitting on, on your fudgesicle, you never see. <laughs> These two guys were, first, they were trained by the church, not a Bible college. They were trained by the church. When it was time for them to go, the Holy Spirit of God called them through the church, not through themselves. And when it was time for them to go, they didn't say, I'm out of here. The church said, time for you to go. When I started this church, I've been out of the ministry for uh, three or four years, and a number of years ago, and uh, we were going to a church, and the pastor over there was Pastor Whalen, which some of you know, and, uh, and uh, uh, we were going over right there, and he was a good friend of me, and I had got to get to the point in my life where God began to really give me a burden about starting my own church. I really began to get a bug on the thing, and I, and I knew that God wanted me to. And I would have had every right just to go out and start one. But I followed the principles that I preach you. And I didn't say a word to anybody. I kept it in my heart. I kept it in my life. I never told anybody in my family. I never did anything. I just pondered like Mary all these things in my heart. One day, Pastor Whalen came over to me and put his arm around me and said, You know what? I think it's time for you to go start a church. That's when I went. When you're a pastor... You can't do your own thing and forsake the principles that you want and then start a church and hold other people accountable to the principles that you won't keep yourself accountable to. Amen. Amen. And I told him, I'll go if this church will send us out. If it won't send us out, I ain't going because I know the principles that churches have to be started by another New Testament local church. You don't go out and say, I'm going to start a church. Where's the model? Where's the pattern? We do what we want to do, and we like to pick and choose out of the Bible what fits what we want to do. Don't you tell me. Say, how do you know that? I do it all the time. I didn't need that from you guys this morning. I'm terrible. (laughs) I just got out of surgery. I'm very fragile. 
I'll tell you something else. Verse 2 says, the Holy Ghost said. Paul didn't say, I'm going. Barnabas didn't say, I think it's time for us to head out of here. We've been here long enough now. No, no. The Holy Ghost said. The Holy Ghost worked through the body. He'll always work through the body. Verse 2. See, I don't have a problem with that because I'll tell you what. I trained all you people. You're part of my church. You know what? I, I'll say this to you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you to get a message. I trust you, the bark of this body. I trust you. I trust Zach with my pulpit. I trust Bob with my pulpit. I trust Danny with my pulpit. There's 30 or 40 out there I would trust with my pulpit. I'll take it to the next level. I trust you enough to think that 95% of you actually do God's Holy Spirit could speak through as a body and say, do this. I believe it. I trust you. When the Holy Spirit of God was ready, he told them when it was time to go. And he told them when it was time to go, who it was to go. And the last thing I already told you is God will only start churches through other New Testament local churches. That's the model, Acts chapter 13. I said this earlier, and I told you I would say it again, getting into the ministry is one of the most dangerous things a person will ever do. You have the potential of messing up people. You have the potential of giving people wrong advice. You have potential of making some disastrous decisions, mistakes, because you're not following the principles and doing what you need to do. And to be 100% on track, an individual, one of you young guys get, think you're going to call it in the ministry, the best way you know it's of God is to stay out of it. Amen. Stay out of it. When I came to Kansas City back in 1976, Mel Sabaka, my father in the Lord, <coughs> had went to New York, and I was left there all by myself. I was the most miserable person in all my life. I wanted to go to New York to be with him, but God had fixed it, so I couldn't do that without causing some problems. So I believed what the Bible said, and I stayed put. I believed what the Bible said, so I didn't do anything on my own. It was the hardest thing in my life. Then one night, about six months later, I got a phone call from Elsa Bakken. He says, hey, how spiritual do you feel? And I said, well, not very spiritual right now. He says, well, Truman Dollar's going to call you. I think you're going to go to Kansas City to get into ministry to be his youth pastor. Boom. If I'd have did my own thing, listen to me. Listen, listen, listen to me. If I'd have done my own thing, I'd have been up in New York, and I never would have been here. No amens. Just thank you for that. <clears throat> All my ministry, all my ministry, 40-some, almost 50 years, I've seen guys get into the ministry the wrong way. They just throw the principle. They're like charismatics. Charismatics, many of them are saved. They want to believe in speaking in tongues so bad they'll throw out every verse that it clearly is against it. And when a guy wants to start a church so bad and he doesn't want to let God do it in God's timing, he'll throw everything out he knows because he wants to do it, and they both get in the same mess. And over the years, people have gotten upset with me over that stand. Hey, I don't care. I'm a Bible believer. Amen. If I'm going to stand in this pulpit, I'm going to teach you all the Bible, and I'm going to teach you even the stuff you don't want to hear. Right. And if I don't do that, then you need to get somebody else that will. We talk about it. I saw it on the, I uh, got a flyer, leadership conference. Christian leadership, building leaders, building leaders. Come and let us discern your ability to be a great leader. We got Mr. So and so and Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, and they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, you're gonna come out of here understanding 
We're going we're gonna to look and critique all your abilities to be a great leader. I want to tell you something. Leadership, being a good leader, has absolutely nothing to do with ability. Leadership has absolutely, being a good leader has absolutely nothing to do with ability. Being a good leader has everything to do with responsibility. You're not a good leader because you make good decisions. You're a good leader because you make the hard decisions. You make the decisions that are not popular, but they're right. People don't like them, but they're biblical. You're a good leader because you stand in the pulpit and you're responsible for truth. Whether the people like it or not. You're a good leader because you can take responsibility for the really hard, unpopular decisions that you've got to make in the ministry. Too many pastors today want to be popular. So they won't preach hard sermons because they don't want to lose you. I already told you, I'm looking for a certain kind of person. I'm looking for somebody that's tough. I met Barry Sadler one time back in, oh, it must have been in the, oh, I don't know, late 70s. Barry Sadler was, wrote the Battle of the Green Berets. He was a Green Beret, fought in Vietnam. He was killed in Guatemala in 85. He wrote the Battle of the Green Berets. The theme of that said, 100 men will test today, but only three win the Green Beret. People come through this door. They come through this door. Bring them into this church for God to give you a chance to do what you want to do right and biblically. My job is to be, uh, my job is to be here to help you do that. But the decision of whether you're going to do it or not going to do it lies with you. 100 men. I'll test today. But only three win the Green Beret. I'm looking for a special kind of person. I'm looking for somebody that will endure a hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm looking for somebody that won't put their tail between their legs and run the other way when, when tough times come. I'm looking for somebody that won't get personalities involved. They'll stay with the truth in the Bible, and they stand for truth, Amen. not personal preferences. In short, a real leader, pastor, will have to be responsible for the truth, the Word of God, in every aspect of his ministry. I'm open. You can get my tapes. John's got them. Bob probably got them. You can get my stuff back from 1988. I'm preaching the same thing now that I preached back then. I ain't changed a thing. I ain't going to change a thing. I may have forgot some things, but I ain't changing anything. And I'm an open guy. I'll sit down anytime, any play with anybody. Show me where I'm wrong in the ministry. Show me where I'm wrong in biblical principles. Show me where I'm wrong by following the model of pattern. You got a better model of pattern that isn't in here? I don't want to hear it. You got one better in here? I'll see it. Whatever starts wrong usually winds up ending wrong, unless something changes. Churches are a body. They're a team. This church, any church, will only be held together by the principles of the Word of God that we all believe. And when you have God's people who only believe some of them, you're going to have problems. It's not, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a hard concept. It's not a hard concept at all. But it's a concept that, based on what I saw while I was out, what you're doing, wow. 
Somebody's figuring it out. Now listen to me very carefully. Just listen to me. <laughs> Without me, you are nothing. Let me explain that because that sounds very arrogant. <laughs> I'm your pastor. Amen. Ephesians 4 says, I'm God's gift to you. Some of you have returned that to the store. <laughs> My job is to teach you. My job is to nurture you. My job is to love you. My job is to protect you. My job is to put up with you. My job is to rebuke you. My job is to admonish you. My job is to build you. My job is to keep you accountable. And my job is to get you where you understand and know and begin to minister unto the Lord. That's the job. That's the model. That's the pattern for a pastor. Look at the model. First Timothy. Look at, uh, look at Timothy and Titus and Philemon. My job is to try to make you better than when you first walked through that door. And sometimes you have to deal with some hard things. And where most guys won't do it, I'm sorry, I will do it. You know why? Truth, truth. I'm not afraid to make the hard decisions. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Noah. Noah stood for 120 years all by himself against all the world. Incredible. God designed it that way. That's why a pastor and all he does have to do it by the book. Not by the same standard. Without you, I'm nothing. You are the body of Christ. You're the body of this church, a body of believers made up of saved men and women who have been called into the ministry to minister to the Lord. God, by his design, has put you here. And I've said it before. This is not a perfect church. You'll never find a perfect church, but it is a biblical church. It's based on the principles. A principle of ministering unto the Lord first to finish the work. Now, when I do my job and you do your job, then we make a New Testament church, a team, and we get the work done. Just like Antioch. All walks of life, all different races, all different creeds, all different backgrounds, all come together and are held together for the ministry through the principles of the Word of God that everybody believed. And when you find somebody in the church that doesn't want to follow all of the Bible, you're going to have problems. How can two walk together except they be agreed? And the church is just based on one concept, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. It says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. My responsibility to you is to manifest truth to you. Sometimes you'll like it, sometimes you won't. Sometimes it'll go with your grain, sometimes it'll go against your grain. My job is to commend myself to your conscience. You know what that means? That no matter what I say to you deep down inside, you know I'm saying it because I love you. And I'm saying it because it's true. But I'm saying it because I have no ulterior motive against you. 
I don't think I've ever hated anybody in my life. I can forget what anybody does to me faster than, than, uh, than uh, it takes for somebody to open up a, a, a bottle of soda pop. I, I, I don't carry grudges. I don't hold grudges. I don't carry things around. It's too much weight for me. I don't need it. I can forgive, and I don't tell you. Some people, some people says, well, I don't know how God can forgive and forget. Well, I don't know where you're at, but I want to tell you something. Not only can I forgive, I can forget. You say you never think about it? I did. I didn't say I didn't think about it anymore. I just said I forgot. Well, how do you forget something and still think about it? You forget it in the aspect that I look at all the stupid things I've done against God and he forgot me. I'll give you passes on yours. You make it right with me, we're good to go. You don't make it right with me, I'm good to go. You know why? Nothing's going to take this away from me. Nothing's going to take what I have with this from me. And we're a team. We're a New Testament, Bible-believing team that pulls together. My responsibility to you is to manifest truth to you, whether you like it or not. Commending myself to you, to your conscience. I have a responsibility to give you the truth in everything I say. I have a responsibility as pastor to give you the truth about everything I say. You have a responsibility to take that truth and let it do what the truth does in your life. As long as we do that, we get along fine, and the church moves forward. What happens is, is when we want to start taking some truth and not the other truth. Well, we want to do this, but not this. Oh, I believe all of this, but when it comes to what I want to do, forget this. That's where we get into trouble. And let me be clear about this. God's program is a New Testament local church. Everything here is everything that you need. I was talking to Sean last night, and Sean has always had a, 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 a heart for, for, <coughs> for people that they work with on the street. And they do a great job. And he's tried in the past to get a home where he could bring these guys in. But it's never worked out for him. And, you know, and, and Sean is one of the best guys. There's nobody that's got a better heart than Sean. And I love him very much. And I thank you for what you've done with him and for what the Buscato, which Chris had, what you've done with him. Uh, you guys have just, you've done a, just a great job with these guys. But, you know, I told him last night, he, he, he's like Paul talks about. He's got a zeal, but not according to knowledge. And he come to me and he said, you know what, I want to I bring this to the church. What do you think? He's going to buy a home right here, not too far from the church. And he wants to uh, open it up where he can bring some guys in. And I said, I said, I think that's a wonderful idea. But here's the difference this time. Here's why it didn't work before and now it'll work now. You're going to bring it into the church. We're going to set down the ground rules of anybody that comes in. They're going to sign a contract. They're going to understand what our parameters are, that this is a ministry of this church. You won't have to tell them they can come in. We'll have a board of guys who help you. You won't have to tell them when it's time to go. We'll tell them. You'll be free to teach them the Bible and give them what they want. The church now will take care of what that is. It'll free you up. You don't have to worry about a thing, and you can do what God's called you to do. Reach out to these guys. We'll have you guys go over and teach the Bible to them. We'll have everything that we need to do. We'll be right there. We'll have everything that, uh, uh, that it, it, it needs to be done right there. You know, that's the beauty of bringing it under the New Testament local church. That's God's program. There's no other program. 
and any other program is out there. I'm not saying it's not a good program. I'm just saying it's not a New Testament, Bible-based, biblical program. Because there's only one. The church. They were trained by the church. They were sent out by the church. That body of believers in Acts chapter 13 had their arms around the Holy Spirit of God. They were ministering unto the Lord. And it was time for Paul and Barnabas to go out. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas that said, we're going. Holy Spirit of God came down and talked through the body. And I want to tell you something. If there's any body of believers anywhere in this country that God could speak through, through the Holy Spirit of God, and get the message to somebody, it would be this group right here. It would be this group right here. Well, that's the first lesson. Now, next week, I'm going to start talking about the patterns. I'm going to walk you through and show the infrastructure of a church. Because I saw what you guys did. You guys were incredible. You guys really, 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 really did a great job. This church is where, right on track where it needs to be. I'm not saying we don't have things we've got to work on. We don't have things we've got to get to. We do. But we will get there. You know why we'll get there? Because of your love for the book. And your attitude. And I've watched over the last couple of years real leadership come up in this church. Where I had to fight all the battles at one time and take all the cheap shots. Now you guys are taking them. It's a good feeling, isn't it? Good to go home with your tail feathers blasted off knowing that, you know what, when I used to be unsaved, I used to go out and get beat up and clobbered all the time. It's good to go home and be beat up and clobbered for something God does for you instead of something stupid we did ourselves. Well, we'll hold up there next week. We'll get back into it. We'll go back into the Old Testament next week. We'll talk about where the church started, talk about the concept. I'm going to show you seven different churches in the Bible. You think this is the only one, I mean, church age. I'm going to show you there's, there's seven of them in the Bible. Well, I just have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed, and we'll get ready for our, our little deal. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for today. Thank you for the good folks that are here. Pray your blessings upon all that we endeavor to do for you. Thank you for our visitors. We pray, Father, that uh, they get a blessing out of it today, and we do love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. I think we ask it. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.